All right, everyone say this Wednesday. This Wednesday is our encounter service. That is a night of worship where we uh, take a little extra time and just go and pray deeply. We worship deeply, so we would love to see you here uh, this Wednesday at 6.30. And I don't see Pastor Braden in the room, so I can't tell you if there's kids' service available or not. Do you guys know this? What? There is. Okay, so if you have children, because some people don't come because they don't know. Uh, we do have a, a children's ministry is available for your children, um, and they're also welcome to worship with us as well. But we hope we see you this, this Wednesday. We do this once a month be, because Sunday mornings, we, we can't, so we want to go longer, we can't, or something like that. So we carve out this time to press in more. So we hope that you can join us. Today, we're starting a brand new series called True Riches. So that means... We're going to be talking about money for the next four weeks. And I can already feel the tension in the room. Like you're, oh, God, Pastor Mike, I brought a friend today. Why did you do this? Why of all, all days? Like, hey, honestly, money is an important thing. It's, there's a couple things. We, we mentioned this last week. What are the things we don't want to talk about in church? We don't want to talk about politics. We don't want to talk about sex. And we don't want to talk about money. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about Jesus, the cross, all that. But. Not this stuff. But it's really one of the most important things in our life, and it's one of the most powerful forces in our life is our money. When you think about it, before you were ever born, someone was thinking about how to pay for your birth. And when you die, someone is trying to think about how they're going to pay for your death. So think about this, from birth to the day we die, money is central to our lives. And the reality is that our money and our heart are actually tied together. And so I think it's an important topic that we should talk about in church. Because if this is true, that our money and our heart is tied together, what does God's word have to say about it? Because the Bible has more to say about finances than it does faith. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that have to deal with principles of how to handle our money and how to live generously. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about it. Now, I have some goals for this series. I'm just going to spell those out for you right now before we continue. So three goals for this series is would you, because of the seriousness of the topic, would you make the next four weeks a priority to be here? Or watch online. So look, if you just get through this service today, because I know some of you are already like thinking, Mary, let's get the kids and hit the door. Don't look back. We'll turn to a pillar of salt. Like I don't, but if you finish today, you're 25% done. All right. So just get through today. And, and that next week, we intended it for this week, but because of Midwest storms and things like that, I guess, we as a church purchased a book for every home. Uh, that we want to give you. This series is based off this book. Now, my messages are different than the book, but it's a book that I recently read called True Riches, and I thought, I want to put this in the hands of our church. And when we've done this a couple times in the last eight years, it's always been a blessing. So next week, we're going to give you a book. So this goal number one is come for four weeks or watch online. Goal number two is read the book. It's a little book. It's short. It's not long. I read it in just a couple of sittings over two or three days, just kind of perusing through it. I had another book that I was reading intended, and then I read this one. Like, oh, this one kind of cuts to the heart quicker. It's true riches. It's what Jesus has to say about our wealth. And goal number three is 
just put into practice the things that you're learning from the series and the things that you're learning from the book. Because I believe if we live generous, if we live God's way financially, it will bless our life. Now, research shows that if you make $42,000 a year on average over a 40-year period, you're going to have $1.7 million go through your hands over a 40-year period. So look to the person next to you and say, you're going to be a millionaire. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? When we think about someone who's rich, it's always someone other than us. I mean, in this whole room, I'm like, that's, Lord, we're all millionaires. Not like all right now, but you will have over almost $2 million is going to go through your hands over a lifetime. So if that's true, then I would want to know what does God's word say about it? Because the world has one way of viewing wealth and God has his way. The world has its way of viewing finances and what we're to do with it. And then God has his way. So today I want to unpack just three ways to view our finances. Not what to do with it, but just three ways to view our, our finances. Because this is an important topic. And I do believe our wealth and our heart are tied together. I believe this because everything that you want in your heart is going to cost you money. Your heart, that new thing you want, that new dishwasher, that new car, that house you want to buy, that you're dreaming about, that you're perusing, uh, that thing you keep looking for on marketplace that you desire is going to cost money. But your heart's tied to that desire. Our heart and our money, they are tied together. And that's kind of the big idea today. Our heart and our money is tied together. That thing you want to provide for your child is because you love your child with your heart, but it's going to cost you money to raise your child. Your heart and your wealth are tied together. So we as Christians say, well, what does God think about it? How should we view our resources? How should we view our finances? I think this is one of the, I think the things churches should be talking about is Marriages, so we can strengthen marriages. Cultural issues, money. Because wealth in our nation is an idol. And God doesn't want any idols. So I want to talk about three ways we should view our money or view our finances or our wealth. Number one, view it this way. God is the source of your wealth. God is the source of all your income. If we think that we are the reason for our wealth and, you know, I put my 40, 50 hours in and I've done it and I've worked really hard, we actually become prideful and through that, it starts becoming an idol in our life. And anything that we make an idol, idols is, is anything that we think is a source to us. So if you think money is your source, because think about it, money can give the illusion that it'll provide security. Money can give the illusion that it can provide that you have power. It makes us prideful if we don't view it as God is the source for this income. God is the source for um, our wealth. We see this in uh, the book of Ezekiel with King Nebuchadnezzar, who, who is, you know, a, a, the king of Babylon. He is very wealthy, and he gets prideful. And watch this in, in Ezekiel 28, verse 4. This is God speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, You're, but by your wisdom and understanding, you've gained wealth for yourself. And amass gold and silver in your treasure. So that would be like bank accounts. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. 
It's just when, when the attitude is, I did this, and I am the reason. God had nothing to do with uh, my ability to save. God has done nothing to do with my career. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar, he, he thought, well, I have done all this. Verse 5, by your great skill in trading. So he, you know, this would be like the stock exchange. You're really good at this. And you, you have a knack for money. You have a knack for budgeting. You have a knack, just, you know how to do this really well. And he says, you have increased your wealth. And because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. When we have pride, the fall, pride comes before the fall. And if you look at the whole story, it does not go well for Nebuchadnezzar when he puts his security in what he has done and what he has provided in his own self. Because the reality is if we think we're the source of our income, we will become prideful. Money becomes an idol to our life and we hold on to it. We want more of it. We're never satisfied and we're never going to get enough and it becomes an idol. And idols never provide the security that God does. Idols never give us the identity that God wants to give us. Idols never give us the power that God wants to empower you. Look at this verse in Deuteronomy 8.18. God tells us, as a people of God, he says this to the Israelites, remember the Lord your God. So if you're a Christian, this is you. It is he, it's God who does it. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and confirm his covenant. So when you do feel blessed, that's because God has confirmed like, I, I put that, that drive in you. I put that passion in you. I put that ability to save and, and to squirrel away, you know, the resources to, to get this thing. But don't put your heart on it. Psalm says, though your wealth increases, do not set your heart on those things. That's what the Psalms tells us. And this is what the, the writer of Deuteronomy, this is what Moses is telling us. Like, look, when you grow in your wealth and when you become more successful, don't, put, don't become prideful in your heart and think, look what I'm doing. Say, like, no, God gave you the ability to increase. God gave you the ability, and when he does it, he's establishing his covenant. So other people look at your wealth and look at your resources. They look at the blessings of God in your life, not just financially, but how secure you walk as a person because you've remembered this is actually coming from God. Everything in, in my life is coming from God. Number two, second way to view our wealth is God wants us to live as if he owns it all. Let me say that again. Everything in your life, your car, your house, your marriage, your children, your job, and the money you bring in as a result of your job. He doesn't want you, us to be like, these, these are all mine, and I've attained these things. We're to live open-handedly with the Lord with all of these areas. And really what God is doing is he's made you the steward of your marriage. He's made you the steward of your career. He's made you the steward of your finances, of your bank accounts, of your job. We're mere stewards on this side of eternity. God wants us to live as if everything is his. And what happens is so that if it doesn't own your heart and God says, hey, I want you to bless this person and and, and give them $100 or, 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 or cover that person's grocery uh, Bill, as they're going through the checkout, and you see that sh she's, you know, a couple bucks shy, and she's pulling things off of the conveyor belt because she can't afford to pay it all. It, a stingy person would maybe judge her for that. 
But a righteous person, a generous person, if God owns it all, could move on your heart and say, hey, why don't you help her? And it's no thing to you because you know God's going to recover that. Anything we give to help other people to live more generous, it never leaves our heart. It never leaves our hand. God will keep supplying it. And I view it like a stream in a river. It's like God, his, his provision is like a river in our life, and it's all ours. And you can play in the river and take a cup of that water, put it in that river, and just hand it to that person. Say, hey, and you're never less. It just keeps flowing. If you're a generous person, God will keep provision and resources flowing through your life. But we must live as he owns it all. Because if God owns it all, that means we're managers and stewards of what he's given us. And then if he's a manager and steward, when the Lord asks you to give away that car or the Lord asks you to be generous with your words and you're not stingy, you can do it easily. Yeah, I have a test for this. How do we know if money is ruling our hearts or not? Because if our, if our resources and our wealth and our hearts are tied together, then there must be some litmus test to know this. And it's this. It's the rich young ruler. I don't believe God, the rich young ruler's principle, is that we must give away everything. But the reason why Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give it all away is because it owned him. And, it, and I believe if he'd have done it, he'd have got it all back. Because it wouldn't have owned him anymore. And the test is, does your stuff own you? And it's hard for you to release it? Or do you own it? And at any time you can say, because God's asking me to do this, I can give this away. I can, I can do this. Kind of a better way to think about everything is, is the Lord's. Your wealth, your marriage, your own heart, the air you breathe, it's all coming from God. Your ability to produce wealth. Everything that we own, God wants us to live as if he owns it. And he's just asking us to steward it. There's a couple verses. I'm going to go fast through these. Um, as uh, Hebrews 3, this is a New Testament, says, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of what? Everything. First Corinthians 10, 26. The earth is the Lord's and what? Everything in it. Haggai 2, 8. The sil- this is the Lord speaking. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Psalms 50, verse 12. The world is mine and what? And all, say it with me, and all that is in it. Everything you have is God's. Kind of a great analogy about this is think about parents, your kids. Your kids have a space in your house that they feel like belongs to them. It's their room. Go to what? Your room. Clean what? Your room. But at the end of the day, mom and dad is paying the mortgage for your room. We know who really owns the house. Mom and dad. And is it possible? You may be here and it's like, no, Pastor Mike. I've did this. I've done this all. It's like, yeah, you, you may be paying the mortgage. And you may be doing great in your career. Maybe making that change in your life right now. But could it be, really? It's your house. It's your car. But you are living in God's world. 
And we should view our finances this way that I have the ability to produce wealth. I don't own any of this. God owns it all. I am just a mere steward. The same way my children were stewards of their room. I'm going to give you this just for the sake that I brought you into the world. I have a responsibility to provide for you. So I'm going to give you your room. I want you to clean your room. I want you to behave well in your room. These are, the, these are the boundaries of the household. But you are in mom and dad's world. And in the same way, in the globe, this is all the Lord's. And he's asking us as a people of God, this is how I want you to steward your life. And that when we live our life as stewards of everything in our life, we become open-handed. And we don't become closed-handed and think this is all mine. And we don't live stingy. We live free as the people of God. So how we should view our money is that God is the source of everything that we increase. It's coming from him. He's given you the ability to produce wealth. Number two, so it's a big deal to God. If we don't see him as the source of it and that he owns it all, it's a big deal to him if we live prideful that way. So the third thought I want to give you, and this is... um, really the solution. So how do we do it? It's simple. It's gratitude. Number three. This is the third thing I want to share with you. Gratitude's the key to experiencing joy in our finances. I, I would argue it's the key to experiencing joy in everything in our life. Gratitude is the key. The lie is if I get more, I'll be happy. If I get a nicer car, a better house, a better neighborhood, a newer dishwasher, a bigger this thing, uh, the lie is that if we get those, then, then we will get to, if, if I can finally get this upgrade in my house, then I'm going to be happy. If I can get to this place in my career, then I'm gonna be, if I find this neighborhood, or if, or if I can live here, or if I can acquire what I see everybody else on Facebook posting, and, and they're awesome, beach vacation, if I can have a vacation like them, or if I can drive a car like them, or wear a watch like he does or she does. Listen, uh, the lie is you're going to be happier. But the reality is, it does not actually bring you joy because it's a spirit of greed. It's a spirit of indulgence, and it's never satisfied. Someone's always going to be better off than you, and someone's always going to be worse off than you. But gratitude, what it does, it creates contentment in our heart. So that whether we have little or whether we have much, either way, we can be grateful. The great thing about gratitude is whether you have a little or a lot, you can do it on either side of that. And it creates contentment in our heart. A couple of thoughts I wrote down is either in financial wealth or temporary setback, gratitude can happen because God is our source. God's our source. So the lie is get more get a nicer things, and God's not opposed for us having more. Don't mishear me. I'm just saying we should be grateful when it comes. Though your wealth increase, do not set your heart on it. Increase should happen as the people of God. I think we should live blessed as the people of God, and we'll talk more about blessings in the weeks to come. We'll talk about increase, but our view should be, number one, 
I have the ability because God's get, he's the source, and it's all his. So I'm just stewarding what he's given us. And number two, I'm going to be grateful because it's the key to experiencing joy right now. Philippians, Paul uh, shows us this in Philippians 4, verse 10. Uh, when he writes to the church in Philippi, he is in prison, literally prison. Uh, this book, the book of Philippians was written when Paul was put in prison. Uh, he knows his time is coming to an end. And prison in Rome wasn't like our prisons where you got, you know, cable TV, health care benefits, uh, none of that. You, it's pretty much a dungeon. Sometimes you would have a house arrest, but you had to provide for it. Uh, but Paul was placed, you can actually visit one of the prisons that Paul was placed in. It was like a dungeon, basically. So it's cold, it's damp, there is no heat. And this, so he's writing and he says, look at what he's saying, in prison, in a place of lack. He says, I rejoiced. Everyone say that with me. Rejoiced. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So he's in a place of need. And in his need, he's rejoicing in what the Lord, in the provision that has come to him, which was from the church of Philippi. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. As Christians, God calls us to be content with where we are, with what we have. And to be grateful for it. What happens is it becomes a, 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 that contentment helps us to see with gratefulness of where we are. And he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. So whether I have a need or whether I can provide for someone else's need. Either way, I'm going to be content. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. When we live grateful, we can be in a position of needing more resources, needing that breakthrough, and still be grateful, which is why the writer of James, the book of James, says we can count it all joy when we go through various trials. We can still be joyful. We can still be grateful. And I know what it is to have plenty, and even in the seasons where there has been increase and we're in a better off place than we were maybe 10 years ago. And even in that, I can't let these things grip my heart. I must remain grateful. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed, so times are good. That's what he's saying here. I'm being provided for. My car payment is being made, my house payment is being, I have a job, I'm well fed, or hungry. It's not going great. I'm having a hard time paying my bills. I'm a little behind in this area of my life. And either way, we can remain grateful. Oops. Whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The joy that we are looking for comes through Christ. And whether we are in a place of plenty or in a place of want, gratitude is how we start. Gratitude's the solution 
to pride. Gratitude's the solution to greed. It's the antidote to, for these things gripping our heart. And whether we are in lack or we are in plenty, gratitude helps us see what God is seeing, helps us live with contentment. When we planted this church, uh, we moved here uh, over eight years ago, about six months before we launched. We moved here in August. We launched in March of 2014. And I was on staff, most of, most of us here probably know my story, but I was on staff as associate pastor at church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I was the worship pastor. And I'd been there 17 years. I think 13 years in full-time ministry, but overall I was there 17 years. And we thought we would spend our whole life there. And we, we were hitting what felt like. We are in our late 30s. We're hitting our stride financially. I feel like I'm at the pinnacle of my career, being invited to speak at conferences, writing worship songs with worship leaders who, who have national platforms. I mean, it's just amazing what God's doing. And I thought, I hit it. Like, I've arrived. Like, you know, I'm at a church. It's a couple thousand people. We've grown this from 50 to a couple thousand people in the last 17 years. And I felt like, and I was grateful. And then the Lord calls us to plant a church. And I'll never forget what the Lord told me because I thought, Lord, you called me to be a worship leader. You didn't call me to be a pastor. Remember, remember 17 years ago, you said I was going to be a worship leader, not a pastor. Lord, you're confused. I don't know what's happening in heaven. Maybe it's all overwhelming you, but it's not what I was called to do. And he said, in terms of me being a worship pastor, because I loved it. And I thought, this is what I'm going to spend my life doing. He said to me about a couple of things. The Lord just reminded me right now. One of the things was um, I, I birthed a ministry, a worship ministry that didn't exist there. And uh, he told me other people are going to sit in the shades of the trees you planted but you're not going to be able to sit in the shade of it. And he also told me about the worship ministry. He said, you have a gift in music, Mike, and I've given you that ability. You can keep the gift, but you can't keep the ministry. See, I was only a steward of it. I could have said no, I am going to do this. I'm going to keep writing songs, and I'm going to keep leading worship. I'm going to do this in the Lord's. I, and I think the Lord would have, it was an invitation. And he, I think he would have blessed me in it if, because it was an invitation to plant this church. But was I going to be greedy with this ministry I built and this gifting God gave me? Or was I going to say, you're right, Lord. I just want to be a steward of it. And was grateful for that season of my life. And I'm, and which makes me be able to be grateful for this season. I love, I'd have never guessed how much I love pastoring. I'd have never guessed how the other parts of it either. But I, but I love pastoring. I love, I love our church. I love you. I love this congregation. I love Jackson, Michigan. I've never felt home. My entire adult life, I always wanted to move, and I never felt at home until I moved here eight years ago, and I finally found my home. And, yeah, and I'm grateful, 
grateful for this. Thank you. I don't know why you applauded that. But I'm grateful for this season is my point. When we said we were going to move to Jackson, we had no idea uh, how we were going to do it. Like I didn't know where the money was going to come from. I didn't know where people were going to come from. I didn't even know if I had it in me to do it. But I was going to come here and get a job. That was my plan. Move to Jackson, get a job, meet people, and figure it out from there. I had a place. I didn't have a building. We didn't have people, and we didn't have money. But we had a dream, and we were grateful for the dream. And I was willing to give up the most money I'd ever been making in my adult life. And Pastor Lee pulled me in and said, we're going we're gonna to provide for you, but we're going to cut your pay in half because you're going to have to sacrifice financially to do this. You know what a sacrifice is? It's when you give up something you love for something you love even more. I loved being a worship leader. I enjoyed that season of my life. But I had to give it up because I loved the dream in my heart for this place more. But if I held the position, and if I hold the increase that the Lord had given me in that point in my life, I lose the opportunity for this. But gratefulness puts us in a space of being willing to say, I'll let it go because I somehow believe that even in my lack, even that my income was decreased in half, we were thankful. I was like, the Lord provided. Thank you, Lord, for providing for this. So I didn't have to get a job. However, the income was more than half of what I was making in Kalamazoo. Jenny had a business. We were going to quit. She was going to quit that business, let it go when we moved here. And the Lord wouldn't release her. We she tells her clients she had a cleaning business I can't clean for you anymore because it's a long drive from Jackson to Kalamazoo and the client her client says well what do you need and Jen gives her a ridiculous number and she's like okay I'll pay you that and Jen comes home but it was but that made our house payment here in Jackson and we were grateful and we're like oh even though we're we have less a lot less we had paid off our car we were grateful we, we came here with no debt we were grateful and th that created a space in our hearts a solution to for things not holding our heart this is how we should view because the world views money this way get everything you can get hold on to it because it's all going to go away someday someone is always after your money and after you so protect it and guard it with all your heart and God says no don't don't do that hold it loosely I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Will you just be grateful? So here's, how, here's what I want you to do this week. Just start thanking the Lord for where you are. And you may be in a place of lack. There is something you can thank God for. One of the practices that I've been doing in this, uh, this year, and, and even for basically since the fall, every day I'll get up and I'll write down three things I'm thankful for. And on bad days, it's so good. <laughs> I heard someone say, when you're in a position of leadership, you never have two good days in a row. And that's true. But gratitude is the solution. 
to keep your heart centered on the Lord, saying, thank you. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my church. I'm always thanking God for you. Every week, I thank God for the miracle of Radiant Church. Thank you for my marriage. Father, thank you for my friendships. Um, thank you for the provision for my home. Thank you for, the, for my job. I would just thank, the, thank you for, for my coworkers, Lord. Like, we love each other. We get along. It's rare. Like, even in churches, it's rare. Like, with this thank you. There's so much to be thankful for. And it's the solution to greed. It's the solution to pride. It's the solution for things becoming idols is when we just say, God, I thank you for it. And I can enjoy it for this season and give it away. You may let me have it forever, but you may only let me have it for a day. And I will enjoy it until you tell me to release it. So this week... That's all you do this week is just start creating a gratitude list. Write something down every day. Maybe you post it on Facebook. I'm grateful for this because gratitude is the solution to discontentment. Gratitude is the solution that, that will recenter our hearts and keep us from holding things too tightly. Stand up. I want to close in prayer. I feel like the Lord just wants me to minister to a spirit of poverty. And a spirit of poverty does not mean poor. You can be very wealthy and have a spirit of poverty. Because a spirit of poverty makes you feel like there's never enough. You could be sitting with hundreds of thousands of dollars in your account and have that feeling. The other side of that equation, a spirit of poverty says, I'm never going to have enough. You are in a place of need, but you really can't believe God will give you the financial breakthrough. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? If you're just sensing like, I think that might be me. I want to say, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I will not call anybody out. But if you just need poverty broken off your life, would you lift your hands? Father, right now, poverty removing from the hearts of your people. Lord, we thank you that you said your people are blessed coming. They are blessed going. They're blessed in the city and out of the city. Father, your word says that everything we put our hand to will be blessed. Your word says that you never leave us. You never forsake us. That you are our provider. Your word says that you meet all of our needs according to the glorious and riches in Jesus' name right now. And I thank you, Father, that the spirit of mammon is being broken off people's life in Jesus' name. That things no longer hold us. Lord, we can live open-handed, Father. We can live as generous people because we view it as all a gift from you. We view it as you are the source of all of these things. This is all yours so we can live open-handedly. So, Father, I pray this morning that poverty is being removed from the hearts of your people. This is a generous people. We are a generous church, Father. We will live generous, Father. Even in our lack, we can live with a richness with an enrichment in our heart towards other people, rich with our words, rich with acts of kindness, rich with our finances. We can be a blessing. So, Father, I pray, remove poverty from our heart and let us live with true riches. Let us live with a kingdom mindset, not an earthly mindset, but a godly mindset. We love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Awesome. You can grab a seat, Pastor. Just have a